Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Formula One podcast, Final Corner. My name is Maeve. I'm one of your hosts for this podcast, and I have with me my co-host, Rainier. Yeah, so we had a super action-packed weekend uh, with the Austrian GP, and we're excited to talk about a number of things. There were a hefty amount of driver finds from across the weekend, so we're going to dissect that a bit. We've got a quick summary of qualifying in the sprint race, a recap of some of the strategy that was going on during the actual race on Sunday, a quick update on our F1 fantasy teams, and finally, of course, a preview of everything that you need to know before the next race. Thanks so much for joining us, and let's kick off today's episode. Before the race weekend got fully kicked off, there was a bit of drama between the FIA and the drivers. Let's, uh, we should chat about that. As a lot of fans know, there's F1 driver briefings that occur with the FIA prior to all of the race weekend. And that's kind of where this whole drama got heated up basically. So Sebastian Vettel actually stormed out of the briefing after getting pretty frustrated, apparently about the conversation that was going on and was subsequently given a suspended fine of $25,000 for leaving the meeting without permission, which I thought was kind of excessive. Like, I don't know the without permission. It's just like, what are they locked in there? Um, But the interesting thing is that it was a suspended fine. So what that means is that he only has to pay the fine if he does whatever he was penalized for again. So as long as he doesn't storm out of another driver's briefing, he won't actually have to pay that 25K. And in looking at the statements from the FIA, it sounds like they felt like they had to find him, had to find him because anytime there's a, a breach in procedure there has to be a penalty basically yeah i mean i think i think the the fines are obviously the way that the fia can can actually its authority over over some of the drivers um seems indeed a little petty to find someone twenty five thousand dollars when there's clearly an argument going on it just it you know probably only exacerbates the argument rather than uh solving it um but you know i I guess if a rule is broken, a rule is broken, and they, they sort of have to respond to that. Do we know what he was pissed off about? Yeah, so for a bit of context, um, George Russell and Sebastian Vettel are the two co-directors of the F1's Grand Prix Drivers Association. So it's basically like the association of all the current F1 drivers. And And after the meeting, Russell said that him and the rest of the drivers have been pushing for more consistent, you know, stewards between the races and also a single race director. So there can be more consistent application of the rules from race to race. And that was basically the discussion that was going on when Vettel stormed out. I think the drivers have been getting pretty frustrated because they come to an event and oftentimes the steward from the previous event isn't there. And so there's no accountability from race to race on how the rules get applied. And according to the drivers, there's also no explanations for the decisions and they can't really get straightforward answers from the race director and the stewards, which I can imagine would be super annoying. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that as well, right? If you if you go from race to race and in one race one rule is applied and the next race a different rule is applied, I I can certainly understand why that's frustrating to the drivers. It's a bit surprising to me that they can't 
Um, they can't be more consistent in how they apply the rules. I would think that it would be a little bit more black black and white than that. Um, so I, I, I mean, I hear the concern from the drivers. I, I, I'm assuming a big piece of this issue is the fact that they have, you know, two race directors now instead of the one, um, which was obviously, you know, as, as people may or may not know, um, you know, there's two race directors now after Michael Massey got replaced at the end of, at the end of last season. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think this year in general, at least from my perspective, there's been a lot more noticeable tension between the FIA and like the drivers as a collective, like not just tension with one driver or one team, but kind of tension across the board. Um, There was drama ahead of the Miami GP about enforcing that rule about you know, being able to wear jewelry and there was kind of like a standoff with Lewis Hamilton over if he would wear his nose piercing or not. And then there was also the, the drama around like the type of underwear that drivers have to wear while in the car. Yeah. And then you get that amazing pick of Seb with his underwear on top of his race suit. Yeah. Yeah. Those were definitely iconic. I love his like show of protest basically. Um, Another driver who's been pretty outspoken and, and critical of the FAA is actually Alonzo. So he was actually forced to apologize after calling the one of the race directors incompetent and basically like questioning if um, he had if the race director had knowledge needed to do the job after he was kind of upset about a penalty that he got during the Miami GP. So I don't know. It's It's definitely getting more more and more contentious i think we've seen numerous incidents and i think they're at the point where now someone's storming out of the meeting and a driver is getting fined um and i know you know we have we're going to talk about the track limits uh, across the course of this weekend but i don't think that really helps helps the debate that's going on right now no and look you you see this across all sports right there are plenty of times where people get pissed off at the refs and the calls that refs make and and i'm the race director is no different um, than kind of a, you know, a ref for Formula One. And so I can, I, I'm not surprised that people get frustrated, especially in, in such a high octane sport as Formula One is, but uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully things move quickly to, you know, a more amicable situation rather than, than, than what we've got going on right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out the rest of the season and who knows, maybe after the summer break, the FIA or stewards will, implement some changes or the drivers will cool down a bit we'll just have to wait and see we should really quickly talk about some of the highlights and the lowlights of of quality any anything that stands out to you yeah i mean quality feels like so long ago since it was on friday but i think in my view one of the biggest lowlights was obviously mercedes and their two crashes um in q3 here you have like two incredibly consistent drivers that honestly we don't really see crashes from all that often. And suddenly they're both unable to put up their best qualifying sessions. Um, I think, you know, the good news for Mercedes is that this happened in Q3. And so Lewis ended up starting P9 on Saturday and Rush Russell put up was able to put up a solid time, you know, before his crash happened. So he ended up in in P4. And especially given that there was a sprint race, this gave both of them, you know, plenty of time to move up up the grid for Sunday. But especially Lewis, I was I was surprised, you know, with his with his kind of accident that made him crash. It seemed out of, out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I, I think the thing that made this a real low light for me was actually, um, and I know this happened in reverse at, at Silverstone, but but you have fans booing Lewis after he crashed. And yeah. in my view, this is just incredibly unsportsmanlike behavior. And, uh, you know, this is – nobody nobody hopefully is, you know, wishing ill upon other drivers. Every yeah. time the drivers step into the car, they're, you know, they're putting their lives at risk. And, and to, to, you know – like to to basically celebrate someone crashing i think that's i think that's a horrible thing to do so hopefully hopefully we see less of this in the future i think yeah i can yeah i i was just gonna say i completely agree with you i mean these drivers are like basically putting their lives on the line for our entertainment and when you see someone crash and especially like not moving like i i don't know the booing was just shocking but yeah it's it's you hate you really hate to see it yeah uh, move maybe moving us to more of a highlight yeah um, i think i think we have to you know i think it's Haas, right mm-hmm. both hosses in q3 finishing p6 and p7 a super strong showing um you know I, I love to see them up there especially as an american and then the best part is you know that unlike canada it didn't fall apart for them during this GP and, and I just, I mean, I just really hope this is the new normal for them. Yeah, definitely agree. As an American, I'm happy to see both horses in Q3. I think another interesting aspect from qualifying was what happened with Sergio Perez. So he, he exceeded track limits at the end of Q2, but the stewards didn't catch it, even though everyone watching and the commentators all saw it happen. And so they let him move on and and set times in Q3. Yeah, this was, I mean, this was, in my view, pretty upsetting. Like, e- even as an observer, we were sitting there, we were watching it. And you could clearly tell he went off track limits. I said it at the moment that yeah. it happened. Um, and so, you know, if I can see it, it's pretty surprising that, that the lap time didn't get deleted um especially because they were getting deleted very frequently (laughs) it wasn't like the first one that got deleted yeah and i almost thought they had had some sort of sensor i could be wrong but i almost thought they had some sort of sensor or something on there to to check when people actually exceeded track limits but but maybe that's not the case or maybe you know it was was a little messed up um and that's why they didn't catch it but it was to me it was pretty obvious just watching uh watching qualifying um and so what ends up happening here, though, I think, which is crazy, is the stewards deleted all his Q3 lap times and his last lap in qualifying in Q2, which is, you know, what should have originally happened. So he, he eventually does have to start the sprint in P13. But the, the trouble with doing this in such a delayed fashion is that it really never gave Pierre Gasly, who would have been in 10th, uh, the chance to actually go race in Q3 and potentially put up some some better lap times um, and fight for a better position himself. So that was, that was a bit of a bummer to see. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was a bummer. I know some people were commenting like, well, the only person he would have been ahead of is Lewis, which I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Like I think their hit Alvatore's pace has generally be, been pretty on par with Haas. So there's a chance he would have qualified above them, but I think it's more so just like, taking away the opportunity that was a bit of a bummer um so yeah i i agree with you but i think with that we can probably move on to the sprint race yeah let's do that i think a couple things um a couple of interesting things happened right at the start uh the first 
the first was Fernando Alonso, who essentially struggled to to fire up the car. The Alpine engineers were were basically sitting there trying to use an external battery to start it, but just couldn't get it running in time. So you you're sort of left with this interesting scene where you have all the cars lined up on the grid, and then Alonso still lined up on the grid, but nobody had time to get kind of the tire blankets off <laughs> uh, because his car wasn't on, so it wasn't going to go anywhere anyways. Um, and so you have all these cars ready to go, and Alonso is sitting there with his tire blankets. It just makes for a silly scene. And yeah. Thankfully, Alpine clarified afterwards that they didn't just forget the blankets. Uh, I think but- I was grabbing coffee super quickly before – the sprint started and I came over and I was like, what is going on right now? Like, why are the tire blankets on? Is he racing or not? Yeah, I think I, even though you were grabbing coffee, I think everyone else was just as confused <laughs> as you are. So completely reasonable. Um, and then, I mean, the other thing that happens is, is you have Joe who can't get the engines to work at the end of the formation lap. And he's basically just, just behind the start. His engine's not working. Uh, and the start has to get aborted and another formation lap begins and then he does manage somehow to get the car restarted so actually kind of lucky for him yeah to some extent um right that he actually gets the chance to race but he does have to you know begin the race from the pit line but ultimately finishes a pretty impressive 14th during during the sprint so ended up yeah it ended up working decent. it ended yeah. up working out for him i feel like I saw like a flash of all the other races where he has been forced to retire the car. So I was happy that he was able to get the car started and, uh, you know, as you said, do some pretty impressive racing during the sprint race. I think we also did have some crashes that occurred during the sprint race. The first was Pierre Gasly who drove across the front of Lewis's Mercedes and basically spun out. Um, in the first corner and then very interestingly a very would that have happened if he had qualified higher who would have known? yeah exactly he might have been could in have changed front... the whole outcome exactly he would, could have been in front of lewis and then there wouldn't have been a crash that's a very good point um a similar weirdly similar spin actually occurred with vettel and albon which unfortunately forced vettel to eventually retire the car because um, of some damage that that happened from that collision and that was also a bit of a bummer Vettel was definitely pissed about that crash happening and also kind of made me sad anytime Vettel has to retire it's it's a major bummer moving on to the race itself there are, because there are just a ton of different things to cover but before we actually get into the into it I just want to say this was probably one of the most exciting races of this season. The midfield battles were amazing to watch. You literally had five cars at one time. And we've, we've had similar lineups before, but this was incredibly exciting. Um, so I, I personally really enjoyed this race. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, we kind of had a sense of, you know, barring some engine failures, a sense of who was going to finish within the top four. But outside of that, I really did not know who was going to end up in the points and who was going to end up, you know, out of the points. There were a lot of drivers that, that climbed their way up. And then some drivers who literally lost like four cars within the the matter of one turn. And so, I don't know. I think the, the midfield battle was a very, very exciting part of this race. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show that, that these 
changes that they've made to the car design to allow for closer following have really, really worked. And it's made, it's made it incredibly exciting to watch some of these races because you literally have four or five cars lined up all in a DRS train, all fighting with each other. As one car tries to pass the car in front, you know, the third car passes the first two. It's, it's just incredible racing and it's, and it makes for a really enjoyable viewer experience. So, so bravo to, to formula one for, for those redesign changes, I guess. Yeah, I think I completely agree. Um, Moving on to something we hinted at earlier, but we've seen a lot of over the course of this weekend was the track limits on this Red Bull ring in Austria within the race itself. So not even, you know, with the sprint race and qualifying, um, within just the race, there were a whopping 43 track limit incidents, it's which insane. is crazy. I feel like every other lap, we were literally getting told on the screen or hearing over some sort of driver radio, like track limits, track limits. Um, four separate drivers, actually, Vettel, Gasly, Norris, and Joe all received five-second penalties for exceeding the track limits, which... I don't think I've ever seen more than one get that during a race. So I have a question for you. Do we think that this was a bit excessive? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of pushback from the drivers after the race. Um, You know, Norris in particular said that he completely understood the reason for pinging the drivers in the final two corners when, you know, when it could actually make a difference in the lap time, but he had a penalty on the first corner uh, that he felt was a bit excessive in his view. He basically hit the curb and lost a second up the hill and, mm. and they got a penalty for that. And look, you know, I, I understand his frustration, but really the issue is the repeated runoffs at corners nine and 10. You, you essentially have three as a driver, you essentially have three different times where you can make this mistake during a race so something like what Lando said at turn one shouldn't really hurt you in a normal scenario. But if you keep exceeding at, you know, other points in the race where it might actually help you, then mm. yeah, it's going to be a problem. And so I, I get his frustration that, you know, it, that something like that might set him over the edge, but, but it's, it's overall the, the exceeding the track limits all across the track. Right. And you do get the three essentially freebies before you start to run into issues. Yeah, I think, I mean, the reason the FAA is being super strict with this is probably because the drivers are asking for clear policing of track limits after last year. And in my view, it should be pretty clear cut. Either you're within the white lines or you're not within the white lines. And so, yeah, I don't I mean... know, you, you'd think it's something that it's, I don't know, black and white, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, so so Max Verstappen might actually disagree with you on that. Uh, he, I, I have a quote here actually from him where he basically says, it's easy to say from the outside, yeah, you just have to stay within the white line. So literally what you're saying. Here. Yeah. But uh, it sounds very easy, but it's not. Because when you go through a corner and some of them are a bit blind, you have a bit more understeer, tires are wearing, and it's easy to go over a white line. Mm-hmm. Right. So essentially the point he's making is that with the 18, with the new 18-inch tires, it's pretty tough to see where the white line is there's a lot going on in the race and you know in places like monaco you have a wall there so you can really see it and obviously you're not gonna you're not gonna hit the wall um 
and theoretically maybe on, on a racetrack like this you could put gravel closer to the track and the, the drivers would be pretty quick to adjust um but this might also you know pose more of a safety risk but that's true you know I'm going to have to agree with you and, and maybe disagree with Max Verstappen here. I'm, I'm <laughs> obviously not in the car myself, but this you know, is shocking. I, I should yeah, document that you're disagreeing <laughs> with him. I mean, at the end of the day, the rules are the rules, right? Yeah. The drivers need to follow them or the FIA needs to say for this track specifically, we're going to ignore track limits on turns nine and nine, 10. And we're going to do that for all drivers equally. Right. But this, like, this is, you don't really want to have this, like, unobjectively enforced rule where yeah. you know if you gained or if you didn't gain um you know you might or might not get your track time deleted and yeah then leave so much up to the interpretation i think we're all better off when the when the race stewards don't have to make you know ambiguous decisions um we're just better off saying if you exceed track limits four times that's going to be a penalty um because then it's clear and it's the same thing for every driver and everyone's racing the same racetrack and, and everybody's got to follow the same set of rules. And if you say, okay, you know, we're all going to, we're, we're all allowed to exceed track limits on nine and 10. I'm fine with that as well. But I think to come after the FIA for enforcing the rule that everyone asked for last year is, seems a bit silly to me. Very well said, but we should probably transition to how the drivers actually did drink the race aside from the track limits or else we're going to spend the whole podcast just talking about rules and how they're enforced um so i think one of the biggest shockers for me was how much better the ferrari pace was compared to the red bull during the race especially given that max was able to hold on to the win during the 23 lap sprint race um i was surprised just by how clearly better ferrari's pace was on sunday yeah it was tough to see you know the lack of pace that that max and red bull had both Ferraris were able to take overtake Max pretty easily. He started in P1 and, and uh, quickly that devolved for him. Yeah. You know, there was, there's some battling, uh, but all in all, I, I'd say that Max really didn't stand a chance this weekend, which was, which is a bit surprising. Yeah. I mean, as I said, he, I mean, he qualified first in qualifying and then he won the sprint race. And so I was shocked as to why, Red Bull's pace was so off. So do you want to walk us through that or what some of the theories are there? Yeah, I think the main issue was, was, you know, the tire degradation. His rear tires lost performance a lot quicker than Ferrari. So they clearly just managed it much better. Um, It's it's interesting, right? Because when you look at qualifying, which obviously doesn't take into account tire management, you know, their pace was super similar. Um, So, you know, pure performance wise i'd say the cars are are pretty similar but but you also have to have to take into account the degradation and and that is a piece of overall performance in my view mm-hmm. um and so that that really just is what ended up contributing to the win for for charles there i guess my question is why red bull struggled so much with tire degradation given that i feel like it's actually been a strength of the, theirs in in previous I don't know, races in this season. And something that I feel like Max is actually pretty good at is managing his tires. Yeah, no, he's definitely, he's definitely good at managing his tires. I think, you know, I'm still searching for an answer, but, but apparently so is Red Bull as well. (laughs) Um, 
they they really didn't change much on the car setup between you know the sprint sprint and race day. Um, I think Horner commented on it. He had basically three speculations. Uh, one was you know the slightly dropped temperatures. Uh, two was kind of the full tanks, or three the overnight rain that that maybe washed away some of the grip on the track. Um, I saw another theory from from automotor and sport is that it's because the car basically gained some weight from some recent upgrades that it's essentially 10 kilograms over the minimum weight, which could be leading to it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm still searching for answers. Like I said, it's crazy because 10 kilograms over the minimum weight, it seems like the team would be pretty aware if the car was some somehow now heavier that that was going to have an impact on tire degradation. So yeah, that's it's surprising. Yeah, that's why it's surprising that Horner didn't say that. But you know, who knows? It could also be strategy. Yeah, to, to not talk about that. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I'm you... sure they're looking into it because it it was clearly a mismatch uh, between Ferrari and Red Bull this week. Actually, we should just move on to that section. You know, the the highly discussed Ferrari Plan E because that's essentially what saved Red Bull from from what would have been a disastrous one two weekend from yeah uh, from ferrari that's very true i feel like per usual red bull saving grace is that ferrari messes up or has some sort of issue so ferrari plan e is the e for engine failure or for explosion (laughs) i mean um e was was obviously what science what science uh the the plan that they gave science for the race and we saw a lot of that you know engine engine failure explosion um but you know in all seriousness science science very clearly had a had a very easy second place locked in and then we all of a sudden see smoke coming out of his car which is obviously something you hate to see um especially if you're a ferrari fan he pulls the car over and and instantly we can see you know the fire coming out of the engine um and this was, I, I mean, this was a bit interesting, right? Because unfortunately, he's parked it on a bit of a ramp. So basically, each time he tries to get out of this car that's literally on fire, the car starts to drift backwards. And of course, the Formula One cars don't have a handbrake. So there's there's nothing really to stop the car. Um, and and like, if he did get out, he is, you know, on fire car would have drifted backwards onto the track of other incoming Formula One cars. Um, so thankfully, a steward gets there, puts a block to prevent the rolling, and then starts to put out the engine. But, you know, it was, it was pretty wild to see that. Yeah, that was crazy to watch. And also how quickly the flames just, like, picked up from, like, a little smoke to a little fire to just a lot of fire. Um, I think Signs actually said they need to look into improving the procedure. He felt like it actually took a while for them to get there, stop the car from rolling and putting out the fire. And I think there's obviously the more important safety aspect to it. Like he can't get out of the car because it's literally rolling backwards. But then there's the piece of it's super important to put out the fire as quickly as possible because it has an impact to um, to the amount of money they might have to spend repairing the damage that the fire is making to the car, especially given the cost cap. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what else the stewards could have done there. Yeah, right? that's fair. Um, other than potentially designing something in into the car. You know, 
realistically, in my view, while it was brave of him to stay in the car and maybe he had, you know, those cost caps in mind, uh, like you were saying, uh, he and, and everyone else who's, who's in that situation is probably safest if, if he gets out of the car immediately yeah. and, and lets the stewards worry about a runaway car, you know, red flagging the race or, or putting out a safety car if they need to. Um, him sitting in a car that's bursting into flames seems like a, a really dangerous position to be in. Yeah, I completely agree. Do we actually know what ended up being the issue with the engine that caused it to literally be engulfed in flames? Yeah, Ferrari said after the race they expected it to be similar to what happened to Leclerc in Baku. Um, although afterwards it appears that Sides' failure is is actually attributable to um, you know the hybrid part and the forced induction, while Leclerc's issue in Baku was the valves and the cylinder head. Um, so it actually ended up being a different issue, even though hmm. it looked the same, you know, and Ferrari thought it was the same issue at, at kind of the on race day itself. Um, unfortunately for Ferrari, this is, this is going to be more of like a medium term fix for them. Uh, they essentially need to design new components and produce them and, uh, you know, and, and basically make these different parts, which is essentially going to take more than a few weeks. Um, so not something that they're going to have, mm. have pretty quickly. I'm sure they'll look into some short-term options in the meantime as well. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you have, you have this issue where science basically has to take his fourth power unit uh, next week. And he's, and he's not the only Ferrari power unit struggling. Botas had to start at the back of the pack due to, Due to engine penalties and and Kevin Magnuson's power was also hang, hamstrung by you know engine troubles as well. So yeah, I think I definitely want to transition to actually talking about Haas and Kevin Magnuson. But first, I just wanted to say I feel bad because I think even Signs feels like he has one good weekend and then something bad happens and there's just not consistent momentum. And I think you don't really want to hear a driver not talking super positively about how their season's going. Like I'm sure he'll kind of turn his mindset around, but he definitely does not seem to be in the best place right now. Yeah. Let's move on to Haas. Yeah. So as we hinted earlier, Haas had another phenomenal weekend, which as Americans, you do love to see Kevin Magnuson finished in P eight and Mick had his best finish finishing in P six. Yeah. And not only that, but he also got driver of the day. He turned it on this race. I mean, he had so many battles with Lewis this weekend um, across both the sprint race and the race itself, which was super awesome to see. He did not give up. He's a young driver lining up against some of the best in, in you know, I mean, who knows if it's inferior machinery because they're, they're performing yeah. well. But I loved seeing Mick up there. And, and he's he just – he seems like such a class act that – it's, you know, everyone everyone really loves seeing Mick perform. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was rooting for him. You loved seeing all the comparisons, how he's, you know, turned on his dad's spirit or whatever, really he really lighting into some of those battles. So I agree. It was it was awesome to see. Yeah, we should also, I, I mean, I mentioned it before, but I think K-Mag deserves some credit too because, like I said, you know, he had some power unit issues and still managed to finish in the points. So, um, Do we actually you know, know what those issues were with his power unit? 
We haven't gotten too many details, unfortunately. Um, Magnuson did say he was just praying to God that it basically uh, didn't wouldn't blow up all race, which is possible given what happened to signs. So yeah, um, yeah. Pretty I mean, as him. you said, it's just not great for the Ferrari power unit. They've been having so many issues across all their different cars this weekend and across numerous weekends. Yeah. But on the positive side for Haas, they are now seventh in the constructor standings ahead of Alphatari and Aston Martin, which honestly, I don't think I saw coming at the beginning of the season. So super impressive from them. Yeah. And also super impressive given that they've done this without any major upgrade packages from their team this year, um, which is kind of astonishing given the number of major upgrades that other teams have done. I mean, Aston Martin did a huge upgrade package and it didn't seem to change their performance whatsoever. So super impressive. And actually they are planning to have some major car upgrades coming for the Hungarian Grand Prix at the end of the month. So who knows, you know, where they can end up after those upgrades. Some hosses fighting for podiums. Yeah, I'm all for that as well. I think another team that did a bit better than I expected, um, given where they were on Friday, was McLaren. Yeah, yeah. I mean, P15, P16 after qualifying was tough to watch, for sure. Yeah, I was I was very disappointed after seeing that and seeing Daniel Ricciardo knocked out during Q1 and then Norris just subsequently immediately knocked out during Q2. Um, I will say they made some gains during the sprint race on Saturday, so they were able to move up from up into P11 for Lando and then P12 for Daniel. And then during the race, they managed to, you know, finish in the points for both cars. Lando finished in seventh and Daniel Ricciardo finished in ninth. Yeah, and and the seventh from Lando, he was first of all, he was one of those cars in in one of those heated battles towards yeah. the end of the race. So that was that was fun. Um but he also, like I said before, had a five second penalty. Um so who knows where he could have been, you know, if he if he hadn't gone over track limits. So uh, a bummer for him, but he ended up salvaging a, a semi decent spot. Um and, and so did McLaren across the board in, in six and nine. It's just a bit tough to see that this is, you know, their new normal to some extent. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good point. Um and I think I was reading that this is actually only their third time this season scoring double points. So both cars in the points, which is pretty bad statistic, I guess, out of the eleven races we've had so far and they're now tied with Alpine in the championship standings which as a McLaren fan you know last year they're fighting for best of the rest and now they're like I don't know fighting for fourth with Alpine and and some of the cars below them they're fighting just to get double points in a weekend um I don't know I keep waiting for McLaren to improve and it's just has not really been happening it it seems like their car honestly is just not it this year and so at this point i'm i'm hoping they can maintain their fourth place overall in the constructors yeah i mean fourth might be best of the rest here i don't know if we that's true including mercedes as as best of the rest here with their with in third place as they're you know smoking um 
you know the teams behind them. I agree. Um, although they're they're not quite Red Bull or Ferrari either. So Mercedes is kind of living in their in a camp of their own. But but I agree. You know that this was a this was a team that was continuously. It appeared to be very much on the up, um, and a team that would soon be fighting for the championship itself. And and it just feels like they've regressed this year and and are in a really tough spot. Uh, the double points, unfortunately, it seems to be you know, Ricardo just hasn't got a great handle on the car. Norris has put up some, some semi-decent performances, but I think we all uh, would like to see more out of him. And it just yeah. it seems like he's extracting what he can out of the car, but the car just isn't, isn't there for him, unfortunately. So not to bring our conversation back to fines, but at the end of the race, interestingly, all three of our podium finishers were fined after the race. So they were given suspended fines of 10,000 euros for breaching Park Ferme rules. And so after reading a bit more into exactly what happened, apparently all of the driver's physios, which are kind of like, you know, Angela Cullen example uh, for Lewis Hamilton. So kind of they're like assistants um, and trainers entered the park Ferme area before the drivers had been weighed which um actually breached the post-race procedure instructions that had been given prior to the race weekend um it's interesting so i guess in austria no literally no one is allowed into that designated area until the podium ceremony had completely finished so The physios weren't allowed in the cool-down room behind the podium area, and they weren't really allowed at all in that area until the entire ceremony um, had been concluded. I think after reading, it sounds like the the big big thing that the stewards or the race directors were concerned about um, at, at Austria here was things being handed over to the drivers before the drivers actually get got weighed, but. I, I don't know. This just seems random. Yeah, yeah it, it does seem random because, like, I, I mean, I've had that reaction before where, where you see the team personnel, you know, hand things to the drivers uh, before they get weighed. But this is what they do at every race, right? Yeah. So it's sort of standard operating procedure. So so it's, it, I don't know, clearly none of the teams got the memo if all three yeah. finishers got fined. Um, and three I, separate teams, too. Yeah, so it was, yeah, like, this, clearly no one. <laughs> And this might also be kind of what the drivers are complaining about when it comes to like in inconsistent enforcement of the rules, right? Either say, you know, you can't have team personnel and that's going to be the way it is going forward for all races or, and, and be very clear about this, yeah. this change in enforcement rather than just suddenly finding everyone $10,000 for a procedure that's always been happening in, in kind of the same way. So I, I, I get some of their frustration here. It seems weird for this to change from track to track also because the weighing procedure is consistent across every single race. So that doesn't make that like make the most sense to me. I think the whole weighing situation in general is a bit weird because I've seen drivers. I mean, they're allowed to like drink water, for example, you know, before they get weighed because they're so like parched and dehydrated. So in general, the, the weighing procedure seems a bit flexible, and it seems like if they're handed something, I don't know what they would get handed that would kind of breach the weight rules, but I don't know. I agree with you. It's like either we do this at every single race or 
or we don't enforce it at all. It seems kind of random to enforce it in Austria. I think we should uh, move on to everyone's most anticipated <laughs> portion of the podcast, where Rainier beats Maeve in F1 <laughs> fantasy. You seem uh, very, very confident going into this right now. I am fairly certain that I beat you this weekend. Do you want to start with uh, with your team? Okay, yeah, you can. We can start with me. I just looked at it, and honestly... I thought I would have done worse, to be honest. Ugh, um, this is not what I want to hear. Yeah, I know. Um, so I have Red Bull as my constructor, and they ended up getting 50 points this weekend. Definitely not as much as Ferrari got, but pretty solid. Um, I had Prez on my team, who, as we all know, ended up not finishing the race and having to retire after he got some damage so he got four points i was kind of surprised that he didn't have negative um but he ended up with the 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 weekend with four four points signs as you said was my turbo driver i was stoked things were looking amazing was thinking another podium finish and then he had to retire from the race he did end up getting 10 points and then with my turbo driving two times points he ended up with 20 which for not finishing in the race, like pretty solid. Yeah. And then the thing really holding my team together was that my last three drivers had very solid weekend. So Daniel Ricardo got 15 points, which I think is the most points that he's had in quite some time. So I was very excited. He was in the double digits. Alonzo had an amazing 18 points um, because he gained, I think, so many positions during the race. Um, and he ended up finishing in the points, which is great. And then Kevin Magnuson with a solid 19 points for finishing in the points again. So I was really held together by my second tier, I guess, if that's okay to say, drivers. Yeah. Um, so I ended up the week... I mean, not amazing, but I thought I would be below 100. I ended up with 126 points. Oh, that's so tough, Maeve. I'm so sorry. Okay. So, 53 points for Verstappen. Norris oh, my, my God, 53 driver. for Verstappen? Of course. He won qualifying. He won the sprint race. He finished in second place on the race itself. I mean, great yeah. weekend all around. Everything yeah. short of first place on the podium. Then number two, Lando Norris had a great weekend as well, constantly climbing throughout the weekend, as we discussed. Um, he's my turbo driver, so after mm. the turbo boost, he gets 58 points. Wow. Gasly gets eight points, uh, even though he you know, got crashed into, um, or I guess he did the crashing. <laughs> um, but anyways, eight points out of Gasly, three points out of Sonoda, um, that combo then, has not been doing you any favors, by the way. No, it, it really hasn't. But guess which has been doing me some favors is Mick Schumacher. Take yeah. a wild guess at how many points he got this weekend. I don't know. If Magnuson got 19, he got like 23? 26 points. Oh, wow. That's yeah. impressive. More than yeah, got, Carlos Sainz got me. So Yeah, you got sixth place. In the race, so that's plus eight. He gained three positions during the race, so that's plus six. Qualified in seventh, plus four. Q3 finish, plus three. Beat team race, plus three. Sprint race, dice plus two. And race classified, so plus one. 
he put up a solid number of points. Yeah. And then Ferrari, which was really solid all weekend, besides Carlos Sainz at the very finish, put up a solid 63 points. So that gives me 211 for the weekend. So mm. blew you out I of the water. I guess you did beat me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what what else there is to say. My two top yeah, drivers you know, silence, couldn't silence finish the, the race. Answer. I will say I'm looking at some of the other like teams that I had that I'm not actually using, and if I had had Charles Leclerc as my turbo driver, he would have gotten 120 points, which is literally the amount of points I basically got with all my drivers combined. So. I think, you know, we're coming up on summer break. I think I might need to do some reflection and switch up my team a little bit. I don't know. I mean, say what you will, but my other team here would have scored a, a solid 257 points. So pick whatever team you want. I'll pick my best team. We're still coming out on top. Okay. <laughs> I literally beat you like six weeks in a row so i don't know where this random gloating is coming from i mean well, we'll i gotta see... i gotta take my chances when i got them yeah i will see what happens next week if you make any changes if i make any changes we'll have to see but i think the true testament is if you can win back-to-back weekends oh i'm feeling confident don't you worry <laughs> We have a week off from F1 to try and recover from what I would say were some pretty incredible races back-to-back. I feel like I need to mentally reset. Um, Our next race will be at the dizzying circuit Paul Ricard for the French GP. If you have not seen what this circuit looks like, look up a picture and you will understand why I say dizzying. It's kind of crazy. Um, Rainier, can you give us an overview of this track? Yeah, absolutely. So the the French GP dates back to 1971. The circuit length is 5.84 kilometers, and the race will be held over 53 laps. The track features 15 corners and two DRS zones, and the lap record is held by Sebastian Vettel from 2019 at a minute 32.740. The track has a a relatively even distribution of high, medium, and low-speed corners, which is a key reason why it's one of you know the most used test circuits in the world. So it should be a, a pretty interesting weekend coming up. And with that... Uh, I guess it's in two weekends. Yeah, sadly. I mean, sadly or not sadly, but yeah, we got a week off, which is a bit of a bummer. Don't know what I'm going to do with my time. But I'm looking forward to it. And with that, let's close it out. Yeah, thank you everyone for joining us and listening to this podcast. We will be back with another episode in two weeks after the French GP. Please consider subscribing so you don't miss the episode. In the meantime, we would love for you all to leave a review and share any feedback you have on what you want to hear so we can improve the podcast for you all. Till next time, bye-bye.